Thank you, Kirk, for reading our scripture. I was just thinking a moment ago, last Sunday afternoon, our young men led our service. They did an outstanding job, and I appreciated so much what Drew and Kirk had to say. They did, I think they did an excellent job in preparing to speak, and we appreciate them. We're grateful for Jared and his work with them, and it's always great to see all the talent that we have here at Olive Branch. We got a great group of young men and young ladies. We appreciate them, and we pray that God will use them as they grow older. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27 in just a moment. I do want to just express appreciation for your presence tonight. As always, we're grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, we want you to know that we appreciate you coming our way. We'd love to have you come back. We're grateful for every opportunity that we have to be together. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, specifically in verses 21 through 27, as Jesus emphasizes the importance of obedience. I want to begin tonight by simply saying that chapters 5 through 7 of the book of Matthew form what has commonly been called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this great body of truths, there are many what we would call foundational truths upon which those of us who follow Jesus are to build our lives. It's interesting to me that in this great sermon, Jesus emphasizes obedience. And you think about as he began his public ministry, stressing the importance of obeying the will of the Father. And then before John laid down the pen of inspiration in the book of Revelation in chapter 22, he too stressed the importance of obeying God. And he said that our obedience to God is tied to our hope in heaven. So tonight I want to begin by talking about the legislation of Jesus. And then we're going to talk about the revelation of Jesus. And then thirdly, the illustrations of Jesus. Let's begin by first of all thinking about the legislation of Jesus. In verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I think it's helpful for us to understand that the one speaking here was given all authority. As a matter of fact, in looking at Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus begins this great sermon, some six times Jesus will say, You have heard that it has been said by them of old time. But I say to you, and there he inserts his divine authority, and Jesus has all authority. In Matthew 28, verse 18, he would say, All power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And again in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop, God the Father spoke on that occasion. And he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And so what God was saying is, whatever Jesus says, we need to be attentive to. We need to listen to him. Paul would say in Colossians 3 at verse 17, that whatsoever we do in word or in deed, we are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we're to do it by his authority. Why? Because he's the one that sets the terms. He is the divine lawgiver, the legislator. And James would point out there's only one lawgiver. So, in thinking about the great authority that Jesus has been vested with, I would submit to you that Jesus has the authority, the power to grant life to people today. 
You remember in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they want a better life and they want a better way of life. There is no better way of life than Christianity. It is the greatest way to live. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're miserable and they're unhappy and they're discontented and they are living far, they're living lives that really and truly leave them unsatisfied. And yet, and yet Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Also, Jesus has the power, the authority to grant liberty. When Jesus came to earth, he came to liberate people from sin, from unrighteousness. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. He would talk about in verse 34 of John chapter 8, that if the Son makes you free, he said, you're free indeed. To think that we can be liberated from a life of sin. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And Jesus has the ability, the power to liberate us, to make us free from the bondage and the weight of sin and unrighteousness. And then I want you to think with me in the second place. We talk about the legislation of Jesus. But consider, if you would, the revelation of Jesus. Listen now to what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me just begin by talking about the saved. Jesus here is saying that the prerequisite to entering the kingdom of heaven is obedience to the will of the Father. There may be a lot of people in our world today that discount the importance of obedience. Jesus said that one of the ways that you show you love him is by obeying him. Do you remember when he said, if you love me, keep my commandments? Do you remember, do you remember when John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments? And he said his commandments are not burdensome or grievous. And so we show our love for God by obeying Him, for being submissive to His will. Jesus is saying that those who are saved are submissive to His will. Think with me for just a moment. Since Jesus is the divine lawgiver, since He has all authority, since He has the ability, the power, the right to legislate the terms of entrance into the kingdom of God, doesn't it stand to reason that we need to listen to what he has to say when, when it comes to becoming a Christian? That is, when it comes to being a child of his. Does he not have that right? Well, the answer would be yes. What did Jesus say about entering the kingdom of heaven? Well, he said we must be willing to do the will of the Father. What then are the terms of admission into the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 3, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born again is to obey the gospel. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To understand that he is exactly who he claimed, he claimed to be. You remember in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus asked, Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus would say, unless we believe that he is, we'll die in our sins. In other words, unless we come to believe that he is the great I am, the Son of God, we'll die in our sins. So I have to have belief in the Son of God. And then I have to be willing to turn from a life of sin. It's called repentance. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish in Luke 13, 3. And then I must be willing to confess with my mouth that I believe Jesus to be the Son of God, as Paul points out in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Or what the eunuch said in Acts chapter 8, that he believed Jesus to be the Son of God. The Bible then says I must be baptized into Christ so that I might enjoy the blessings and privileges of sonship. Here's what Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. So we talk about becoming a child of God, becoming a Christian. Well, Jesus has the right, God has the right to tell us how to become a Christian, doesn't he? He has the right, the prerogative, to set the terms of entrance into the kingdom. He's the one that defines the parameters. I don't do that. What the Lord wants me to do is simply say, okay, this is what you want me to do, this is what I'll do. Jesus asked the question on one occasion, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. So we obey the gospel. When we obey the gospel, what then happens? Well, Paul said that our sins are washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. Peter said that when we are baptized into Christ, all of our sins are remitted. And God then puts us in the church. Now we talk about becoming a Christian and what the Bible has to say about the saved. There are some people that say, well, you don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. You can have a spiritual relationship with Jesus separate and apart from the church. That's strange because Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, that Jesus is the Savior of the body. And there's just one body, Ephesians 4, verse 4. And the Bible tells us that when we're baptized, we're baptized into the one body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. So when we're baptized into Christ... We enjoy all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, 3. We're added to the body of Christ, Acts 2, verse 47. We are said to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 1, verse 7. We're reconciled in His body, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16. That's what a New Testament Christian is. God has the right to tell us how to become a Christian. But God also has the right to tell us how to behave as a Christian, doesn't He? God doesn't just leave it up to me as to how I'm going to live once I become His child. But rather I have to honor His Word, His will. That's true individually. It's also true corporately. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said, But if I tarry long that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church belongs to God, doesn't it? And Paul is saying here that we have to behave ourselves in God's house. It's not my house, it's God's house. God has the right to tell me how to behave in His kingdom, doesn't He? Now we talk about the church. Jesus built the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, saying to Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus built the church. 
He bought it with his blood, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. If he bought the church, if he built the church, then he has the right to legislate how we do business, doesn't he? Can you imagine me coming into your home and upon coming into your home saying to you, you know what, I think we need to change the color of that wall. And that furniture that you have in, in your den, I think we need to move that out and put something else in. And by the way, the shrubs on the outside, we need to cut those down and we'll put something else there. Your response would be, wait a minute, this isn't your house. You have no right, you have no authority to come into my house and tell me how to run my house. That's right. It's exactly right. I don't have any authority. What right, what authority do I have to come into the house of God and to say, okay, we'll do this or we'll do that if it's not found in this book? I have no authority to do that whatsoever. Now, we talk about the saved, and Jesus is saying that if we want to be saved, then we have to be compliant to the will of the Father. What about, when we talk about the church, universal, what about individual congregations that become dissatisfied or disenchanted with God's way of doing business? And let's say that they decide, you know what, the name Church of Christ doesn't fit us anymore. We're really not intent on honoring the name of Christ. We're going to change our name, put up another billboard. What about if they say, okay, rather than taking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, we'll take it on Thursday night. I mean, after all, why not? Or maybe Friday evening. We'll make it more convenient for people. We'll have a Saturday evening service. And we'll have people come in. They can get their business done, spiritually speaking, on Saturday night. Don't have to come back Sunday morning. Look, if it's your house and your church, you can do it any way you want. But if it's God's church, you nor I either one have that right. We can't come in and change the way God does business. Now, there are some folks that have done that, but they're not doing it with God's blessings. So we talk about behaving corporately. What about individually? Do I have a right to just live as I please as a child of God? Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more? In chapter 6, verse 1, he asked the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Since we've been blessed with the blood of Christ, the grace of God reigning and ruling in our lives, do we have the right to just live as we please? Paul asked the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Here's his response, God forbid. How shall we that died to sin live any longer therein? I have to understand that I'm now under the authority of Christ. In other words, Jesus is the one that tells me how to live. He is the model for my behavior, isn't he? Peter said that he's left us an example that we should follow in his steps. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise your youth. But he said, be an example to the believers in word and conduct. That is, what you say, be an example of Christianity. How you carry yourself, be an example of Christianity. In love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul here is saying, look, as a child of God, 
there is a certain level of behavior that you need to demonstrate in the world. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talked about how we are to be the how we are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. So, we think about the saved and the fact that God has the right to tell us how to become a Christian. He has the right to tell us how to behave as a Christian. But what about those who are severed from His will? What about those who rather than being submissive are subversive to what He says? I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Pick up with me, if you would, again in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Let me just pause there for a minute. Can you imagine how many people on the day of judgment are going to stand before God and they're going to boast of their words in Jesus' name. They're going to talk about all the things that they said on His behalf. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name? Have we not gone far and wide sharing Your name with others? He doesn't deny that. Listen also. Not only have we prophesied in your name, but we've cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. Not only will some boast of their words in Jesus' name, but many will boast of their works in Jesus' name. We're not talking about some rogue individual. We're not talking about a person who is living in idolatry, a pagan. We're talking about religious people here. And Jesus here is saying that on the day of judgment, there are going to be a lot of folks gathered around the throne. And as they step before the king, that is Jesus, they're going to talk about all the things that they did in his name. Don't you think there are going to be a lot of people on the day of judgment? They're going to stand before the Lord and they're going to be thinking in their heart of hearts, there's got to be a mistake. There's absolutely no way I'm in the line for the lost. There's no way I'm one of the goats. I mean, think about everything I've said, everything I've done the sacrifices, the work, the labors, the toils. A lot of people. You see, we need to make sure we understand there is no other way than God's way. In our politically correct day and age, a lot of people want to give a free pass to everybody. A lot of times we have the idea that we can lower the bar and say, well, it really doesn't matter. Look, I don't have that right. I don't have the authority to say it doesn't matter. What I'm supposed to do is say, okay, this is what King Jesus says. And then it's up to us to comply. 
Again, think about all those people that Jesus was talking about in Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things that I say. A lot of folks quibble about some things that Jesus has said. And they'll tell you in a New York minute that they are a Christian. They're a child of God. Who has the right to say who's a Christian? Do I have the liberty to define who's a Christian? Do I have the right to draw up the criterion? Absolutely not. What about in terms of behavior in the body of Christ? Do I have that right? Can I just rewrite legislation? Can't do it. Jesus here is saying it's very serious when we talk about obeying his will. Jesus is saying here to people far and wide, you better make sure you got it right. Because there are going to be a lot of people on the day of judgment, they're going to go into eternity thinking they were in a saved relationship. The problem was they didn't do the will of the Father. Now, Note, if you would, verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You talk about sobering words. Can you imagine somebody who has spent their life laboring under the pretenses of serving the Lord Jesus? And then they stand before God in the judgment and he says to them, I never knew you. You want to talk about a slap in the face, an eye-opener. That's an eye-opener. I never knew you. And then here's what he's going to say. We talk about sobering words. Listen to these severing words. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, or you who work iniquity. Jesus is saying, if you don't do the will of the Father in heaven, you don't have a prayer. Now sometimes we'll, and I, and I get it, because we're human beings. Sometimes we'll say, well, I thought. Do you remember Naaman? When Naaman, Naaman was instructed to go wash in the river? And he said, behold, I thought. Here's what Solomon said. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. It's not what I think. It's not about my opinion. It's not about what the majority says. It's about what the Lord says. Somebody says, well, that's pretty narrow. It's dogmatic. It's exactly right. It's narrow. It's dogmatic. It's old-fashioned, if you want to call it that. But it's God's ways. And God's ways are the only way. If you want to get a lot of folks ruffled in our world today, in this country, let me tell you what you need to do. Stand up on national television and tell people, on behalf of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Or quote Acts 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Now, you want to ruffle a lot of folks, and you want to have the news media talking about you, you just quote those verses. Somebody asks a question, well, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. Well, what does it mean? It means I am the way, the truth, and the life. It means neither is there salvation in any other. That means there's no salvation in Buddha. There's no salvation in Islam. There's no salvation in any other Eastern religion or denominationalism. Anything other than what the Lord has authorized is out of bounds. So again, is it dogmatic? Is it narrow? It's amazing how in our country we live in such a society that says just about anything goes. You want to talk, you want to talk about somebody who was dogmatic. You read what Jesus has to say. You read what the Apostle Paul has to say. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, when he said, There is one body and one spirit, even as you were called and one hope of your calling, to stand up and say, There's just one body. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church. You mean to tell me there's just one church? That's exactly right. Is that dogmatic? Call it what you want. It's dogmatic, all right. But it's biblical, scriptural. Do we want to be biblical or do we want to be politically correct? So Jesus said on that great and final day, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So the revelation of Jesus, the legislation of Jesus, and the illustrations of Jesus. Listen to him in verses 24 through 27. He contrasts here the wise and foolish builders. When I was just a little fella, I can remember singing the song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock. You remember that song? Probably many of us have sung that song. Well, you know what? That song conveys truth, doesn't it? So here's what Jesus said. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he said, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And he said, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. All Jesus is saying here is, you want to be deemed wise then do His will. You want to be characterized as foolish? Then just ignore what He has to say. Two thoughts here very quickly. Number one, we need, to be, we need to be the kind of people that hear what Jesus says. In other words, we need to be attentive to everything He says. Are you hearing what Jesus says? Did you know that one day when you stand before God, when I stand before God, He's going to judge me on the basis of what He has said. Listen to Him. John 12, verse 48. He that rejecteth me 
and receiveth not my word, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same, he said, shall judge him in the last day. Now Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 2, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Do you remember when Pontius Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Jesus said, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. So, we need to be familiar with what the Lord says. We need to make sure that we understand His Word. Can I understand what the Lord has said in His Word? Well, here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I can understand His truth. Now, it might take some time. It might take some effort on my part, but I can understand it. Paul said when he received revelation from God that he wrote it down in a few words. He said, so that when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So we can read what God has said, we can understand it, and then it's up to us to put it into practice. So we need to be familiar with what the Lord says. We need to be familiar with His words and His ways. I mentioned a moment ago, there, are, there is no other way other than the Lord's way. It is as sometimes we say, His way or the highway. It's only His way. Peter talks about those who have forsaken the right way. There's a right way, there's a wrong way. So we need to be familiar with the right way. So we need to, number one, hear what Jesus says. Number two, heed what He says. That is, we need to be willing to put it into practice. Well, why? Because Jesus said, those who are wise hear what I say and they do it. Those who are foolish, they hear what I say, they discount it. They discard it. Jesus said, you want to go to heaven? You want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? You need to do His will. You need to make sure you're doing the Father's will. Now I said Jesus began His ministry emphasizing the importance of obedience. Listen to John as he closes Revelation in chapter 22, verse 14. He said, blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. He's saying that those who do the Father's will have the right to the tree of life. They have the right to go to heaven. Sometimes we'll say, well, I didn't know any better. Just because we don't know is not an excuse, is it? A lot of folks say, well, I did the best I could. What the Lord's saying here is we need to make absolutely 100% sure that we know what His will is and then that we do it and do it to the best of our ability. It might be that you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. Could I encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God and to simply do what He has said to do, that is, to hear Him, to believe in Him, to repent of your sins, to confess His name, to be baptized into Christ. If you'll do that, let me tell you what, God says if you do that, He'll pardon your sins. He'll wash them away, Acts twenty two sixteen. He'll put you in His church, Acts two forty seven. If you're faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, that is, the Stephanos, the victor's crown. He's promised that, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not 
what you ought to be as a child of God. Maybe your, maybe your life is maybe your life is out of sorts. You're not faithful like you ought to be. Could we pray with you and for you, knowing that God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing?